I've noticed a number of peculiar incidents among the members of the student body, all having to do with rock and roll music. Now, if you don't think this song is the greatest song ever, I will fight you. In just a few years, the Shins moved from Albuquerque to Portland and from the underground to Billboard success. Now they're back with a new album. I'm Greg Cott of the Chicago Tribune. And I'm Jim DeRogatis from WBEZ and Columbia College. We sit down with James Mercer of the Shins for a candid conversation and a live performance. Plus, we review the latest from Nora Jones. That's all coming up on Sound Opinions. Greg, if you recall, three years ago, that artist, the boss, Bruce Springsteen, my hero, went to battle with Ticketmaster, the giant national ticketing company, over the issue of Ticketmaster directing fans to its in-house ticket resale company, Tickets Now, when regular tickets to the boss's shows were not available. Resale company is a polite term for scalper, which is probably the impolite term. The attorney general in New Jersey at that time and the Federal Trade Commission said, this doesn't seem right. People are logging on to buy tickets. You're sending them to the ticket reseller. It's a $50 ticket. Suddenly, they're looking at prices of $250, $300, $500. Ticketmaster, in response, agreed to stop linking to its own in-house scalpers. Now they are returning to that practice. Michael Rapino, the president of the company, says, we're absolutely transparent. We're telling you that's what we're doing. Nevertheless, a lot of people are questioning whether it's right. You're either selling the ticket or you're reselling the ticket. You can't do both. Bands have had problems with Ticketmaster for a long time. Pearl Jam memorably had that crusade against the company in the 90s. Didn't go very far. The latest group to take Ticketmaster on is the Colorado Jam Band, the String Cheese Incident. They don't like having the service fees tacked on to the tickets. They went down to the Greek theater in Los Angeles where they're playing for $49.95 and with $20,000 worth of cash bought tickets to their own show so that they could sell them at that face price through their website without service charges added. What a fantastic example of a band putting its fans before its wallet. That is Booker T and the MGs with Time is Tight, one of many hits from the late 60s from that Memphis quartet. We're playing it in tribute to one of the great unsung heroes of rock and soul, the bassist in that group, Donald Duck Dunn, dead at the age of 70. He died after playing a couple of gigs in Tokyo with his longtime friend Steve Cropper, also a member of Booker T and the MGs. 
It was Cropper's phone call to his high school friend, Duck Dunn, that got Duck into Booker T and the MGs in the mid-60s. And from then on, the band, the, the house band at Stax Studios in Memphis, played behind numerous artists, classic sides by the likes of Otis Redding, Sam and Dave, Wilson Pickett. Artists flocked to Stax to work with this great rhythm section. The hallmarks of the sound were, were concision and swing. There was a sort of a subtlety there and a self-effacing nature, a democracy among the instruments that I think kind of led to the fact that the members of this band were somewhat overlooked in the history of rock and soul, but their imprint was huge. We're talking about Al Jackson on drums, Booker T. Jones on keyboards, Steve Cropper on guitar, and of course, Duck Dunn on bass. Whatever was needed, Duck Dunn would do to serve the song. He would straddle melody and rhythm and play both in equal measure, and that was his great gift. The guy never went without a job. People were calling Duck Dunn all the time to plan their records, go on tour with him. He was playing with people like Eric Clapton, Neil Young, Bob Dylan later in his career, worked till the day he died at age 70. We're going to play a track from the vintage years of Booker T and the MGs from the late 60s, backing up Eddie Floyd on the classic single, Knock on Wood. You're going to hear Cropper's guitar accents, Jackson's knock-on-the-door drums, Booker T's Hammond organ, but I think the key to this song is Duck Dunn's bass. Everything seems to float on top of that great bass line that Duck Dunn lays down. Here it is, Eddie Floyd's Knock on Wood on Sound Opinions. That was Eddie Floyd's Knock on Wood on Sound Opinions. On the bass guitar, Donald Duck Dunn, dead at the age of 70. You're listening to Sound Opinions. I'm Jim DeRogatis with Greg Cott, and up next we welcome James Mercer of The Shins. He's the band's frontman, founder, and sole remaining member. James began the group as a side project in Albuquerque, New Mexico, and it grew from a duo to a five-piece at the height of its popularity. 
They broke through with their 2003 release, Shoots Too Narrow, and with each successive album, The Shins gained more and more fans, and some noteworthy ones among them. Zach Braff heavily featured the band in the 2004 hit movie Garden State. James and the band followed this up with the Grammy-nominated Wincing the Night Away in 2007, which debuted at number two on the Billboard album chart and achieved the highest sales week ever for the indie label Sub Pop. But shortly after this, the Shins left Sub Pop, and after a number of fascinating side projects, James completely retooled the band's lineup and sound. He went into the studio with superstar producer Greg Kirsten, and the result is the Shins' new album, Port of Morrow. James sat down with us recently to perform songs from the album, and we began by talking about his early goals for the Shins. I think I wanted to record songs that that wouldn't translate into the live venues in Albuquerque where where I was working in a band called Flake. So things maybe with an acoustic guitar and and um things that had more of a sort of mod 60s pop influence. And during this period of time in Albuquerque that it, that didn't work. <laughs> on stage it was the scene there was pretty into heavy stuff and uh-huh. that was kind of just the mode so it was bedroom time for me but it took off i mean sub pop signed you based on what a couple of demos or yeah pretty much i mean some of the stuff actually just ended up on o inverted world you know mm-hmm. but it was it was that sort of stuff you know it was like new slang mm-hmm. um and some of those early folky pop things that that like i said really didn't work when you're opening up for, you know, a band called Word Salad. Yeah. <laughs> Someone sets light to the first fire of autumn We settle down to cut ourselves apart Cough and twitch from the news on your face some foreign candle burning in your eye. But worked, you know, recording, and funny enough, worked on Napster. You know, back then, you know, I, we had recorded a few of these things and sold some of them uh, while opening up for other bands, and then because of Napster, it spread. So Boy, I, don't don't you feel old yeah. just even saying Napster? <laughs> Isn't that funny? Yeah. Remember the old days, kids, right. and Napster? <laughs> <laughs> well, it turned on a whole generation of, of listeners to music that they otherwise never would have heard, which must have been huge for a unknown band out of New Mexico to, oh, yeah. to have that kind of audience there. I mean, right it, it was big for Albuquerque. Yeah. You know, I remember the, the weekend when... Um, when Stuart Meyer from, from Sub Pop, our A&R person, came down, he and a guy named Sean Rogers came down to Albuquerque, and it was just like word spread that there were people from a real record label from <laughs> Seattle you know, uh-huh. were, in, were in town, and, and we performed for them and stuff, and it was just the, the buzz was just crazy. Mm-hmm. I've heard it described, James, in interviews you've, you've given that uh, one of the things of, of doing this, this new acoustic sound initially was you wanted to go to the pop song structure to see what mm-hmm. could be done with this familiar formula, some people would say, of power pop yeah. or pop and Which, chords. And... A formula that I didn't understand, mm. really, you know, because I had, I had learned to play emulating bands like My Bloody Valentine and stuff like that, you know, where <laughs> no it's chords, just like... No chords, no structure. Yeah, like <laughs> weird mm. dissonant chords mm. and 
and, or or just power chords and a lot of effects. Yeah. And that was kind of the way things were in in the '90s for a lot of bands. You know, you just As Greg there wasn't I, that classic thing of well, now we're going to go to the seventh. Mm-hmm. Well, there was a real uh, attention on sound over yeah, song right. for about a ten year period. Really, there. and and yeah, it's funny. I l- listened recently to tapes. Uh, you know, my old little ideas and my little micro cassette tapes and stuff. And during that period of time, there's not much I can pull from it hmm. because it really is about. The distortion pedal and the delay pedal and the, yeah. you know, and the flange are all set at the exact right thing. And, whoa, it sounds cool, man. Yeah. You know? yeah. And then you whoa, just play the sound. same thing over and over. Yeah. yeah. That would have gone nice with word salad. That's right. <laughs> well, I think we should have you play something on that acoustic guitar and really get down to the basic of a song. What are you going to okay. – is it going to be something from the new album? Uh, yeah. This will be Simple Song. This is the, the first, first single, single right? off the record. Yeah. yeah. So this is our acoustic version. This is sort of, you know, how I wrote it. Well, this is just a simple song To say what you've done I told you about all those fears And the way they did run You sure must be strong And you feel like an ocean Made warm by the sun was just nine years old I swear that I dreamt Your face on a football field And a kiss that I kept Under my vest Apart from everything But the heart in my chest I know that things can really get rough when you go it alone. So don't go thinking you gotta be tough, play like a stone. Could be there's nothing else in our lives so critical as this little home. My life in an upturned boat Marooned on a cliff And you brought me a great big flood And you gave me a lift Girl, what a gift And you tell me with your tongue And your breath goes in my lungs And we float over the rift I know that things can really get rough When you go it alone Don't go thinking you gotta be tough Play like a stone Could be there's nothing else in our lives So critical As this little home This is just a simple song To say what you've done I told you about all those fears And the way they did run You sure must be strong 
And you feel like an ocean made warm by the sun Remember walking the mile to your house A glow in the dark I made a fumbling play for your heart And the axe struck a spark You wore a charm on the chain that I stole Special for you Love's such a delicate thing that we do With nothing to prove Which I never knew James Mercer of The Shins. The tune was called Simple Song. It's from The Shins' fourth album, Port of Morrow. What a wonderful feeling that song evokes for me, James, when I first heard it on, on the new album. We just did a Valentine's Day special on Sound Opinions. You know, we tackled great love songs. We've tackled love stinks songs, right? This time we did songs about first love. And it uh-huh. seems to me that that kind of preteen, just early teen year when you're discovering, you know, the power of a crush, you mm. feel like an ocean warmed by the sun. Yeah. Tell, tell us about writing that tune. Well, I mean, I, I was thinking about my wife. And what I th- feel is, you know, the first, the first time I've really surrendered to it, you know, to the love, I guess. Mm. And um, I remember feeling like the worries that you have the, about the risk involved, you know, what you risk when you really give your heart to somebody. I just remember feeling like I was not going to let that, that fear get in the way. Mm-hmm. With this one, you know, mm-hmm. I mean, and then the talk about yeah, warmed by the sun. I mean, there's something about the the just the animal warmth of you know being with somebody. And I guess it was the football field part that made yeah. me think about preteen <laughs> yeah. years, yeah, sure. that innocence. Well, I mean, but it's funny you say that because I mean, for me, I do feel like it's this very new thing. It is a very new thing, yeah, for me. And yet, you've been married a while now. You have a couple I've been kids, married right? a while now, yeah, but never quite had that that sort of surrender. Coming up on Sound Opinions, more with James Mercer of The Shins. Later on, Jim and I review the new Nora Jones album produced by one of James's collaborators, Danger Mouse.
Welcome back to Sound Opinions. Our guest this week is Shins founder James Mercer. Greg, a funny thing happened to the Shins on their way to superstardom. James blew the whole thing up. He let go of the other members of the band and began exploring other projects like Broken Bells with producer Brian Burton, otherwise known as Danger Mouse. When he decided to return to the quote-unquote Shins for the latest album, Port of Morrow, James went with a sound richer and lusher than anything we've heard before. Let's return to our conversation with James Mercer as he describes the evolution of this sound. Well, I mean, I have to credit Greg Kirsten for a lot of that. He produced the record and, you know, made a, a lot of really important aesthetic decisions along the way. At the same time, and it's something I, it's something I wanted, you know, I wanted... I always think back to the album Ocean Rain by Echo and the Bunnymen. Ah, yeah. Simply because it was a it was a record that I really dove into as a teenager and it was so moving to me. It's always something I'm aspiring to. And therefore, I knew that you could have relatively simple pop songs that got orchestrated into something really lush and beautiful like you're talking about. Bubblegum um, psychedelia, they called that period really, in the UK. Really, yeah. 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 <laughs> that kind of fits. It's terrific stuff. How, how did you hook up with Greg Kirsten, who produced Port of Marl? Kelly Clarkson, Kesha, Foster the People. This guy's yeah. produced some pretty big yeah. hit records and over the last few years. Styles and stuff too. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, we're all smiling. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, Kesha, you, you can't say Kesha without smiling. Yeah. First of all, you know, I knew Greg as a friend, and I learned that he was a producer, and I listened to his Burn the Bee stuff. So he's in a band right. called Burn the Bee, and I could tell that he had similar sensibilities. So I guess basically he was one of the first people I thought of when I thought I wanted to really work with a producer this time. Mm. Like, you know, from early on, I want to have a producer, a proper producer. This is a period of time in the band that a lot of people were wondering, were the Shins even going to record anymore? Because mm-hmm. we're were going to talk about some of these projects in a minute. But there was a gap there between 07, Wincing the Night Away, the third Shins record, and Port of Morrow, which came out this year, obviously. And, and Kirsten uh, being brought in as a producer, working with you on these songs, and the band that you had been working with, you know, you mentioned Jesse, your original drummer. You'd been working with him since the 90s. You re- retooled the band. It was some huge changes going on here. Was this something that you'd been thinking about for a while, that you needed to make another step and there needed to be some radical changes? Um, it was more organic, I think, than that. I mean, I think so. I, when seeing the Night Away touring ends and I'm, I, was, I was really tired mm-hmm. of I mean, I, I felt just exhausted by the whole thing of being at the center of this big apparatus, you know, and I knew I wanted to do some sort of project. I didn't know what. I mean, I remember talking to my manager and just, I think, scaring him a little bit because I was like, <laughs> I don't know what I want to do right now, but it's not the shins. So during this period where we're just trying to figure out what can James be, <laughs> you know, <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, Brian Burton, who was a friend... Uh, an acquaintance really of mine at the time, proposed, you know, working with me on, on, a, on an album that would be like a band, like we would just work together and write songs together, and that's Broken Bells, mm-hmm. which was really the perfect solution to that problem. 
And that seemed like different in a way too. That it was more collaborative. It would seem, yeah, than the Shins. You were right, right. co-writing songs with this guy and co-producing a record with him, right? Yeah, and somebody who was very famous in his own right, and and you know was a producer with a strong aesthetic of his own, and um, which was all in, kind of intimidating, you know, <laughs> because I I had been keeping everything so close to myself and keeping control over things. I guess, yeah, I was a bit nervous. You know, is this going to work? Am I going to be good enough? You know, is this just going to be embarrassing or something? But it worked out great. We got on really well. So Broken Bells happened, and and then we went and toured for it, and you know met all these new musicians, and and I had that experience, which was really cool. And I think I didn't want that fresh feeling to end. I want to stay engaged and and work with people who feel invested in it, and and so on. So right. And was it similar, working with Greg Kirsten, was that similar to working with Brian Burton in terms of it was more collaborative for you, or was it a case of traditional producer role where you bring the songs to him and he sort of... Right. I really bring the songs to him, but we were it was very collaborative as far as the arrangements and production. Is this the way he first heard them, James? Did you sit down with acoustic um, guitar, or were you giving him tapes or demos? I brought down tapes and, and, and played him, you mm. know, the acoustic... I remember it was... Um, a song called uh, 40 Mark Strasse that I played him just this sort of thing and he listened to that and pretty quickly started putting these 70s synth sounds on it and mm-hmm. it really transformed it and I was just like oh my god we could make the coolest record with all this with this new palette you know that he brought is it all so very simple and horribly complex you're suffering Your mom smokes in the kitchen Her voice a cutting drone The creeping out You pass the bar You find the second home That leaves you on your own We're talking to James Mercer of The Shins. One more question, then we'll get to another song. Um, Grammy-nominated, incredibly successful like year and a half two-year period of touring in support of wincing the night freaking natalie portman is in a movie saying this man will change your life you go to your manager you say i want to do something different this, you, you glossed over that that could not have been an easy decision so like you know it wasn't there mm-hmm. a james the shins are on the way to becoming something really important maybe that's not a good idea yeah i mean yeah that's probably the manager's worst nightmare right that's right. gotta be yeah and probably your wife's too, right? Um, yeah, I mean a little bit. I, you know, it's like, why are you rocking the boat? What is go- what is going on here? But I was persistent. I mean, he. I think he brushed me off for the the first few times we talked about it. Honestly, mm. <laughs> uh, just thinking that eventually I would, you know, it was a phase, or I was just upset about something, or yeah. 
but I would, I just persisted. I was like, I need, I need to do something different. And I was like, I don't know if I'm going to start a new band, you know, and just start recording on a whole new project or change the name, whatever is going to happen. I gotta, I gotta move. Something's got to change. So yeah, he was, he was a little worried. (laughs) Well, I, but know, but I persisted, and he trusts me. You know, well, as and I it turned him. out pretty well. I mean, that Broken yeah. Bells was much loved by many people. You know, it was a great record, and, it, and, and I learned so much. And and um, yeah. it was just kind of, and I became friends with Brian, who's one of the coolest people I know. And yeah, it, so many good things came from that. All right, well, uh, we're going to get another song from Port Tomorrow. Yeah, album number four from the Shins. Tell us about this one before you launch into it. Uh, this is called "It's Only Life," and. Um, it's kind of a, you know, in the modern world, you, you you ponder mortality and all that and what happens and everything. It's I, I have had friends who, you know, it gets heavy too heavy. So this song is is for those people. I guess it's for this woman that I know who I, I hope this reaches mm. somehow. You know, are you talking about people? Considering suicide or just... No, I mean, just, you know, the existential plight, you know, mm-hmm. that, that humans face. You face it if you're thinking about it, I yeah. guess. You don't yeah. have to face it, I suppose. Mm-hmm. <laughs> There's all kinds of other things you can do to your brain other than <laughs> think about the realities. So let me try this thing. <laughs> what am I saying? <laughs> Died in the world you've been Cornered by a natural desire You wanna hop along With the giddy throng through life But how'll you learn to steer If you're grinding all your gear And you've been talking for hours You say time will wash Tower to the sea, and now you've got this worry in your heart. Well, I guess it's only life, it's only natural. We all spend a little while going down the rabbit hole. But the things they taught you, they're lining up to haunt you. Got your back against the wall I call you on the telephone Won't you pick up the receiver I've been down the very road you're walking now It doesn't have to be so dark and lonesome Takes a while but we can Turn it back around You used to be such a lion Before you got into all this crying on my lap 
Back when you thought I'd never get this far Did you think I'd really close an open door But the future's calling, I'm an answer Never drink your potion And I know it breaks your heart Open up your parachute Something's gotta stop the free fall I've been down the very road you're walking now It doesn't have to be so dark It's Only Life from the Shins, James Mercer on vocals and acoustic guitar. Again, another reminder of how these songs originated, how the band originated. It seems to me, even as Port of Morrow, the new album has uh, gotten a little more lush with some of the production choices, more diversified than ever in terms of sound, you have never written such direct songs, it seems to me. Yeah, So how does that work? Well, um, partly that's working with Brian. Brian Burton. Uh Yeah. He, uh, he, I guess, sort of uh, impressed me with the idea that, that being direct is, is okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I think that in a lot of my earlier songs, um, instead of coming right out and saying something like that, where, where you can you know, kind of understand it, I would, get, I would get the feeling that it was too uh, – I was revealing too much maybe. Mm-hmm about my own thoughts and feelings about somebody or, or some issue. And so I would bring in a metaphor and use that to express it so that I could feel the feeling and I could be emotive and, and care about the song, but not actually necessarily communicate anything uh, to anybody but a certain few people who were already there, you mm-hmm. know? Um, you didn't want it it's to kind be of too strange, personal. I guess, you know, in, that says it pretty well. Yeah. I didn't want to get too personal. I wanted it to be, um, I guess, universal and, um, and also mysterious. I just wanted to keep it, keep a separation. Well, the Shins, too, at the time that, that you got introduced to the world, James, you know, we were coming off of that 90s alternative rock period where, where yeah. irony was the thing everybody hid right. behind, okay? Irony or obscurity. And it was a breath of fresh air suddenly to have these songs more and more uh, be about something. I felt that way too. I mean, I, I did feel rebellious and a certain anger in a way uh, was driving me when I was off alone in my bedroom recording that early stuff. I used to feel like everybody's tongues were going to push right through their cheeks if it didn't mm. <laughs> if it didn't pull back on this ironic sort of like you know the winking that every song had to do yeah you know like because you listen to those old pop songs and they are direct but they're still cool you know the yeah. i think even in the 90s there's 
certainly examples I'm sure of really good songs and that are direct and they just and I I would love to be able to do that. What about the band changing over? How did that change the way you approached this record? Well, not in in not too many ways really. I mean, I still it's, you know, like putting these songs together in this sort of format on the acoustic guitar and and then bringing help in to to flesh it out. Was it a case of just more versatile musicians? Is that what you were looking for? Or? Well, not necessarily, but but people with a different, you know, angle on it, I guess. Mm-hmm. You know, just everybody's got their own perspective. And, and uh, that's what I think I find fascinating is you get just a different sort of flavor to, to the arrangement that someone will come up with. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it, I think it's a lot of about change, and, and people are afraid of change in general. Uh, but it sounded like you felt you needed to do this to to get your music and your art, if you will, to to a, another level. Yes, I mean, I do not. I don't want to make it seem as though you know the, the, my buddies who had worked with me so much in the past, you know, were were not good enough or anything. Because I mean, that's not really it. It's it's just I think I just need to move on. You know, there's. I I think you can probably tell there's n- things I'm not saying. You know, yeah. but it is about keeping myself engaged with this whole thing and just keeping myself happy. And and also, I know that you know I can find a lot of interesting new ideas working with new people. I mean, that's something I learned. I think working with Broken Bells. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and Paul Simon didn't keep making Graceland. Right. You know, yeah. You know. And I and that's the other thing is I do want to evolve. I want to learn more. I want to change. I, I don't want to be the same musician I am now in 10 years, you know. You're listening to Sound Opinions. We're here with James Mercer of The Shins. Uh, James, you got another song for us? Sure. Yeah. Let's do the classic old <laughs> one. Now, now, now. I, we we got to set up new slang by asking, did, did, what came first? The, the movie choosing the music or you like sitting in a theater and seeing that i mean you know talk about as a songwriter what greater compliment can you be paid <laughs> than someone that you know with, with such enthusiasm say this song will change your life what are you listening to the shins you know them? no you gotta hear this one song it'll change your life i swear Like, was the screenplay just like, insert cool song here, and you just got picked, or what? I guess so. I mean, I, we were part of, this, of the script early on, I think, because it was, it was years before the movie came out that, that we were approached about this licensing thing. Mm. And um, we didn't know who Zach Braff was. We were, it was. we were told he was on a TV show, but it was like new. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. it was something we hadn't seen or whatever. And so it was just this guy was going to make an indie film and – and, you know, we had said yes to that sort sure. of thing already. You know, we were like, oh, cool. It's like you get a free video, you know. <laughs> so we just said yes to it. There wasn't a lot of money involved or anything. They didn't have a lot of money, um, you know, because I guess at the time it was fairly low budget. And there wasn't mm. a Natalie Portman name attached to it or anything like that either. And then a couple of years later, the movie comes out. And and it's like, whoa, we're like featured in this mo- in this film. Yeah, yeah. With a very famous actress saying – the name of our band, yeah. Um, I mean, I don't know. I, well, it was a loving approach. You there's know? a I lot mean, of things that feel like weird flukes yeah. that happen, you know, when 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 you do this stuff. And I think it just kind of felt like that. Mm. Hell of a fluke. 
Yeah, and did have an impact, a real impact on our, you know, like uh, it wasn't too long after that that we started getting, you know, bigger, bigger crowds and and you know the demand to go play at colleges and stuff like that, which are always good money gigs. Yeah, yeah but I think more than just the exposure, what was cool about that is you know every once in a while uh, you, you see a film that really captures the spirit of the music. The music is in sync with the spirit of the film, and it yeah. was just such a, you know that was cool mm-hmm. about it. Right. The song is kind of about that that transition into adulthood and, and yeah. you know, what what am I going to – am I going to figure this out? Mm-hmm. You know, is, is it going to work out for me or am I going to, you know, go down some bad road or whatever? Well, new slang. Okay. Let's try it. <clears throat> Well, 
James Mercer of The Shins on Sound Opinions. An old one, a classic, new slang. We've been visiting with James Mercer of The Shins on Sound Opinions. James, thanks so much for coming in. Thank you. It's a pleasure. Called to see if your back was still aligned and your sheets were growing grass all on the corners of your bed. Want more of James Mercer's performance? Visit soundopinions.org. And don't forget to take a minute to share your opinions on anything in the music world at 888-859-1800. Greg and I will be back after a quick break on Sound Opinions from WBEZ Chicago and PRX with a review of the latest from singer-songwriter Nora Jones. Welcome back to Sound Opinions. I'm Greg Cott with Jim DeRigatis, and that is Happy Pills, a new song from Nora Jones and her fifth studio album, Broken Little Hearts. Nora Jones has had quite a decade. It started off with a bang with her 2002 debut album, Come Away With Me, selling over 10 million copies and winning five Grammys. Where do you go from there, right? She's had four albums since then, characterized by her jazzy feel for those laid-back vocals, touches of acoustic pop, soul, country in the arrangements, a unique and much-heralded voice. You know, at age 23, to come across with such an adult and sophisticated sound, really entrancing, and, and forged a unique niche for herself in the pop music spectrum. Now, as I mentioned, four albums since then, she's sold 40 million records worldwide, total of nine Grammy Awards. She's retooled the sound a little bit with this new record, though. She went into the studio with Danger Mouse, a.k.a. Brian Burton, friend of James Mercer of The Shins, and uh, came out with her new album. We're going to play a track from it first before we review it. It's called Miriam from Nora Jones and the new album Broken Little Hearts on Sound Opinions. Miriam, that's such a pretty name I'm gonna say it when I make you Smile when you 
was Miriam by Nora Jones from her new album, Little Broken Hearts. Greg, you say that she's retooled the sound. Unfortunately, I don't think it's nearly enough. Now, I have never disliked anything that Brian Burton, Danger Mouse, ever has done before. I thought he really helped Nora Jones spotlight herself in a very interesting way on last year's imaginary soundtrack, Rome. She was the primary female voice against Jack White. I had high hopes for this collaboration. It really lets me down. I think she's dragging Danger Mouse down rather than him bringing her up. There is a sleepiness, a complete and utter lack of passion to this woman that really I find incredibly annoying. As the title indicates, this is a heartbreak album. She had this mysterious relationship with an unnamed fiction writer. She won't say who it is. In the title track, she's talking about picking up the knives on the way to the fight. Tonight they want revenge, right? She's out for blood. That cover image is a takeoff on the movie poster from Russ Meyer's Mud Honey, classic uh, exploitation film of the 60s. He was known for these larger-than-life, super-powerful feminine heroes who kicked all the men's butts. There is no kick butt in Nora Jones. There is nothing but somnambulism. (laughs) If you're operating heavy machinery while listening to this record, you might have a serious accident. Buy it, burn it, trash it. This is a trash it record. Jim, she's talking about committing murder in that song we just played, Miriam. So I think there is a little bit more kick butt in Nora Jones well, than you're giving her credit it. for. She sounds as if she, she's talking about murder in the same voice that she would say, I can't believe The Gap doesn't have my size jeans. Oh, man. But, you know, subtly, I mean, you want her to shout at you. She's never been a shouter. And I think that is one of the most undervalued attributes of uh, Nora Jones's career is the fact that she doesn't shout at you. She is a subtle singer. She is coming from more of a jazz background in the way she enunciates in her vocals. I think this pairing with Danger Mouse has really given her some new life. I think this is the best Nora Jones record since the debut. I still have some problems with it. There are some lukewarm moments in it. Yes, she can be a little sleepy at times, but I think the best stuff on this record is pretty entrancing. And it works as sort of this atmospheric extension of what she was doing with Danger Mouse on that Rome album you referenced, one in which they paid homage to Ennio Morricone and those Spaghetti Western soundtracks, that atmosphere, that sense of something dark and creepy going on in the back alley. Not everything works, but mostly I think Jones plays her part very well. It's a nice little left turn for her career. I hope she does more work with Danger Mouse because it's a very promising direction. I can't give it a wholehearted buy it, but it is definitely a burn it record for me. So that is a burn it for Nora Jones from Greg and a trash it for me. Greg, as always, we have some thank yous to say on the way out. Mary Gaffney and Andrew Gill helped with our session with James Mercer. Sound Opinions was produced by Jason Saldana and Robin Lynn with the able assistance of Annie Minoff and our fearless leader, our executive producer, a man who cries every time he watches Garden State, is Tori Southside Malatia. On Sound Opinions, everyone's a critic. So give us a call on our hotline, 
888-859-1800. New messages. Hi, this is Carrie from North Carolina. I just wanted to say how much I love that you guys gave a little bit of time to MCA. I have loved the BC Boys since the sixth grade when my very first boyfriend gave me License to Ill for Valentine's Day. They've evolved and changed and just gotten more amazing. And I don't really want to live in a world where Beastie Boys are dying. But uh, I guess we can keep listening to the music. Uh, I love your show. Thank you so much. My name is Brian. Um, I'm a big fan of the Beastie Boys. I just want to say that, uh, you know, I think it's great now that he reformed himself, and, you know, that's a great story and everything, but I also think that these were three guys that actually played their own instruments and were doing it at a time when nobody else was in the hip-hop world. They actually made some pretty unique and amazing sounds that just had never been heard before. Hey guys, this is uh, Don Jolly in Austin, Texas. I'm actually calling just minutes before I walk across the stage at uh, my college graduation. But there's something I really got to add to your Mother's Day show, and that's that you went the entire hour without mentioning the greatest song on the subject of mothers that has ever been recorded, which is on Bill Chase's third album, Pure Music, uh, and it's Run Back to Mama. If you can't face the day, you better stay in bed, girl. It's sexist, it's offensive, it really needed to be on your Mother's Day show. Thank you very much. Hi, my name is Joe from New York City, long-time listener. I have a few comments about your Mother's Day show. First of all, I like the fact that you expose people to music most people have never heard. But I had to switch the station when you played that Jay-Z song, the entire song. Sean used to be in the kitchen beating on the table and rapping and um, in the wee hours of the morning. And then I brought him a boombox. And his sisters and brothers said that he would drive them nuts. I'd rather hear a loop of fingernails on a blackboard than listen to that. Also, though I love the Stones, just having the word mother in a song does not qualify it as a Mother's Day song. Very poor choice. I was also waiting for probably one of the quintessential Mother's Day songs. I'll always love my mama. She's my favorite girl. You only get one, you only get one, yeah. I'll always love my mama. Yeah. She's my favorite girl. One other thing. I know I'll never hear this song on Sound Opinions, 
but it's probably the quintessential song of the entire 20th century about mothers. That would be Mammy by Al Jolson. Mammy, my little Mammy, I'd walk a million miles for one of your smiles, my Mammy. Anyway, I love your show despite my negative comments and remain a loyal listener. No more messages. To share your opinions on Sound Opinions, call 888-859-1800. We'll be back next week on Sound Opinions from WBEZ Chicago and distributed by PRX.